Welcome to the Virtual Staff Room, a podcast made for teachers by teachers and all with a dash of educational technology thrown in. My name is Joachim Cohen and today, like every day, I am joined by two rather awesome members of a technology for learning team, Linda Lazenby and Yvette Pashoglian. Welcome team! Hey Hey guys! So what do we have in store for you today? Well, did you know this week, May the 18th in fact, is International Museum Day and we here at the Virtual Staff Room thought we have to celebrate! As we know, in the era of COVID-19, many organisations, including museums, were forced to rethink the way they do things, and many went digital. But one place, one museum, is about to take it to another level. Let's go on adventure. The virtual staff room is heading to the museum. Now, many of you will have visited the Australian Museum, seen the rooms full of fossils, life-size dinosaurs, spiders, beetles, and more. But are these places steeped in the past, or have they too been infected by the awesomeness of technology? Well, today we're lucky enough to be joined by, wait for it, a paleontologist. That's right, someone who works with these amazing artifacts to see what we can learn, what we can predict, and what we can discover. Dr. Matthew McCurry, vertebrate paleontologist, welcome to the virtual staff room. (laughs) Thanks for having me on here. Now, Dr. Matthew, you had all of our listeners on the edge of the seats at the mention of paleontologist. We have visions of night at the museum in Indiana Jones, but tell us, what does a day in the life of a paleontologist actually look like? So look, my work is very varied. So um, some of my time I spend at the museum looking after the collections. So we have a collection of around 165,000 fossils at the museum. It's my job to organize it and to look after the specimens. Uh, but also to go out and collect new ones. So I spend a lot of time in the field on digs, um, trying to find uh, fossils and bring them back to the museum for the collection. Now, I have visions um, of you as a paleontologist out kind of digging away and I'm keen to know how technology has played a part in changing the work of you and your colleagues. So look, um, a lot of the work that we do in the field is still um, quite old school. So we spend a lot of time um, walking around with hammers and chisels and looking at different types of rocks and and looking to find the fossils. Um, I guess some ways that we've used um, technology recently are to um, to map sites. So it's now common for us to take a drone into the field to uh, map the the deposits that we're finding fossils in. Um, That allows us to kind of pinpoint exactly where on the ground each thing has come from. And then I guess the other way that we use technology is when we get those fossils back to the museum. So um, we often CT scan things to look inside them to find out as much as we can about the artifacts. That's, can I just ask a question there? Like when you take a drone up and you're taking this 360 degree footage, does it then map back an amazing virtual map that you can then go and figure out where the best places to go and search actually are? Yeah, definitely. So um, I was just looking at one earlier today and um, we're all working in the field and the drone's kind of mapping away as we're digging things out of the ground. And you can zoom in and actually see the tools in everyone's hands, which is pretty amazing. Well, can you tell us some of the places that you, some of the sites you're working on at the moment? Um, so a lot of my sites are in New South Wales. So I work a lot out near um, near Golgong in central New South Wales, but then occasionally all throughout Australia and the world. So um, I've excavated fossils from the Cradle of Humankind in South Africa, um, and also various sites throughout um, the USA as well. Mm. Matt, has um, this always been part of your your plan to become a paleontologist or was it a bit different? What's your career pathway been? So look, I, I don't think I was a really dinosaur obsessed kid, but I've always been interested in nature. And um, I think the point where I really decided I was going to be a paleontologist was actually at university. So I, I started taking classes in biology and geology and I met some really passionate people and 
um, they're some of the people that kind of convinced me to go down the path of becoming a paleontologist. Oh, wow. You know, I, I can totally hear the passion in your voice. And I'm sure that teachers have got students out there who are really keen to explore a career as a paleontologist or an archaeologist. I know I did when I was at school. What are the types of skills that are really important and how could these students start to develop their passion? Yeah, so I think there's a really wide range of skills that you need to be a paleontologist. So you need good analytical skills. You need to be able to work with numbers and and um, write papers about kind of um, the different things that you find. So there, there's kind of um, a lot of work in actually de- just developing those numerical and written language skills. Very cool. I mean, it sounds a bit STEMI too. So if you're actually doing a lot of numerical work using drones to create maps, those STEM skills, they infiltrate everything, mm, don't they? Absolutely. The, and I think for me, the museums of today are sure different to museums in years gone by. Um, are there new ways in which students and teachers can visit and engage with the museum? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a wide variety of ways that people can engage with the museum now. So um, we're gradually more and more releasing digital content. Um, and so we've actually been uh, producing this situ video where people can take a 3D tour of the museum. So that's a really exciting opportunity for people to come and, and look throughout our collections and see the different exhibitions without needing to be there on site. Don't be shy, Matt. We know you're taking a starring role in this behind-the-scenes tour. Can you give us a little bit more info on um, how people can go behind the scenes and how students and teachers can really get immersed in the museum? So this video allows people to explore the museum, to kind of um, check out different things throughout the spaces. And so um, you can kind of navigate around and and, um, click on links to follow um, to 2D videos where myself and our um, invertebrate paleontologist at the museum um, kind of take you through all of the different um, objects and different things that we learn from the objects at the museum. Uh, is anyone else, I'm just, I, I confess, vertebrate versus invertebrate paleontologist. Can you tell us, what's the difference? Yeah, so they're, they're two major fields of paleontology. So I'm a vertebrate paleontologist and that means that I specialise on animals with backbones. So things like dinosaurs or um, fossil mammals, so saber-toothed cats would be a, a type of vertebrate. Um, but then um, Patrick Smith, our invertebrate paleontologist, he focuses on um, other animals. So his specialty area is trilobites. So trilobites are, are these prehistoric creatures that kind of crawled around on the ocean floor. He describes them a bit as um, like deep sea cockroaches that went extinct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he can have those guys. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of the virtual tour is one element for the museum's digital cabinet and what's coming up next. What else do you have in store to create this digital museum? Yeah, so we're gradually kind of releasing blogs and information on our website. Um, and we've, we've got staff at the museum 3D scanning objects as well. Um, so using handheld structured light scanners to capture not just the, um, the shape of the, the fossils in our collection, but also the colour um, on their surfaces as well. Um, and that allows um, both the public to come and, and you know, view th- objects in 3D, um, but also other scientists from around the world to study these objects without having to fly to Australia. So Matt, what kind of vertebrates do you study? Um, so I, I study a wide range of vertebrates, but I guess one of my um, specialty areas or one of the, the animal groups that I study the most are fossil whales. Um, so I'm really interested in excavating kind of um, skeletons of these fossil whales and understanding their evolutionary history. And what, what have some of your findings been? Yeah, so um, we've, I've excavated fossils um, all over the USA and Australia. And um, so we've described some new species of dolphin and whale. Um, and they kind of helped clarify that picture of, um, 
of how whales came to be kind of in the ocean today. So they're, they're mammals, they evolved from terrestrial ancestors, and the fossil record really gives us a clear picture of how those hoofed ancestors of whales um, gradually evolved to become more aquatic and to occupy the niches in the ocean that they do today. Hmm. Now, before we started recording, Matt, you were telling us today is a very special day. There's a research paper that you've just completed that has been released. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so I'm, I'm very happy that um, this, this paper is coming out today. So I've been working on it for a couple of years, um, and it's a study of the evolution of brain size in whales and dolphins. So um, whales and dolphins have some of the largest brains in the animal kingdom. So um, we really we're interested in how they evolved those large brains and why they evolved those large brains. Uh, one of the previous ideas is that whales evolved large brains um, because some of them need to echolocate. So they need to, to kind of process some sensory information from the environment. Um, but the study that we've completed today actually shows that that's probably not the cause of brain size evolution in the group. So what we found is that um, early ancestors that didn't echolocate actually had equally large sized brains. And so um, that tells us that there's probably other factors at play. Maybe it's how social they are. So animals in big social groups often evolve large brains, or maybe it's to do with how they're feeding in the environment. So maybe they need to, you know, have those large brains to be able to problem solve and chase down certain prey. Wow. Oh, it sounds uh, unbelievable. And it sounds like there's lots more research that you could be doing as a next step. Are you able to tell us what's next on your agenda, Matt? Yeah. So um, the, the next big project for me is um, a site description. So um, it's very rare for paleontologists to find a, um, a new fossil site. So most of the time we find fossils, it's from existing locations, so places where found fossils before. Um, but we have a brand new fossil site it's really top secret, so I can't it? discuss where it. Where is it, Matt? <laughs> I can't discuss where it is, um, <laughs> but uh, we're finding kind of these amazing fossils at this new fossil site, and so that's my next really big um, paper. How exciting. It sounds like you're going to be out in the field collecting these fossils and analysing them and producing some amazing insights for all of us to be able to be on the edge of our seat about. Yeah, yeah. So um, we're, we're kind of... Um, looking at this fossil site and I guess every new fossil site we have and every fossil that we find helps us kind of put together that picture of how Australia has changed over time and how the animals um, that have lived in Australia have changed over time. Fossils are kind of, it's one of those things where we, we don't have a complete picture. So every time we find a fossil site, it's really this tiny window into the past to try and understand these ancient ecosystems that we really don't know that much about. Now, Matt, I was listening to you, the fact that you told us that the researchers on your amazing paper were from all over the world. Do you have like a digital repository of fossils? We do. So um, we have the, the collection of fossils, like the physical collection of fossils at the museum, but we're also gradually developing an online digital repository. So we CT scan these fossils, we 3D scan them, um, and they provide this, um, this catalogue of, of all the things um, that were found online. Do you think that's what kids will be looking at in the future? Look, I think the, the real specimens, so the ones that you see in person, are never going to go away and they're always going to be important. But I think these, um, these digital copies of them really give us an opportunity to, to do a lot more. So it allows people to, to study more things. It allows people who would otherwise not get to study them to, to be able to see them. So I think it, it's great for kind of increasing the value of the collections. It's amazing, isn't it? I remember um, you're getting me thinking about my time back as a history teacher and our uh, and the inevitable search for primary sources. And these are real primary sources of evidence that you've got that students will be able to interact with, um, which is so exciting for teachers out there to think about um, getting access to these kind of digital resources. And they're open and accessible? 
Yeah, they, they are. So um, we're gradually releasing more and more content that, um, that people can access online through our website at the Australian Museum. Um, and yeah, they, they provide a way for you to actually just um, start looking at the, the real things. So it's one thing to kind of read about um, fossils, but it's another thing to be able to see them. Wow. I'm thinking virtual reality. What do you reckon? <laughs> oh, being able to touch and play. But look, we don't know. I think we might have an idea of what you're going to do for our next question, Matt, because every single guest that comes onto our podcast has to answer this question. It's called Rocket Ship Robots. Now, you might have heard of a podcast over in the UK called Desert Island Discs. And what they do is ask every single guest to choose the CD, the disc that they would take with them to a desert island. But we're a technology podcast, so we're going to outer space in our robot what piece of technology would you take with you? So look, it would probably be something to go exploring. So I've always been passionate and always enjoyed going and finding new things. So I think it'd be something like a drone. I don't know if a drone would work in space, but maybe something that I could fly around to other planets and kind of get to check stuff out that we've never seen before. Fascinating. No one has said drone yet. I just love that. That has been the best, the best rocket ship robots yeah, ever. Yeah, that was really good. Look, Thank you so much, Matthew. You have really opened our eyes to how much of a historical role that a paleontologist has to play and how it's been supercharged with the advent of technology. That's for sure. So I hope everyone out there goes and visits the Australian Museum online. Thank you so much, Dr. Matthew. Thank you. Now, we're going to chat to someone who's normally behind the scenes in our podcast. It's our podcast producer, Jacob Drews, because he was pivotal in developing this virtual museum experience, the collaboration with the Australian Museum. Now, Linda, I think you've got some questions to ask, Jacob. Well, I'm just keen to know, Jacob, can you tell us a little bit about the technology that you use to develop the experience for the museum? I can, Linda, and uh, thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be on this side, uh, something different. So the main kind of technology we used uh, for this experience was Situ. So that's an online server-based editing software for basically 360-degree footage. Um, the other kind of big bit of kit we used as well was something I've you know deemed the Death Star. It's actually the InstaPro. So essentially, it's a camera. You got you know five lenses on there, and it will take you know individual photos. You stitch all those photos and putting it very quickly and simply for you guys, it'll make it like a globe. You kind of get a full 360 top down view. And then once you get those images, you can chuck them into situ and um, away you go. Jacob, you're making professional resources for teachers and students with the museum. Is this something that they could be doing themselves in school? It actually is that. And that's kind of where it all came from essentially, which is what's really exciting. So part of the work that Linda does with stem.t4l is they have these amazing kits and so one of the kits is the VR kit. And so within the VR kit, you get these amazing Theta uh, VR cameras, which allows you to take some basic you know, 360 degree photography. Uh, you get some VR headsets and you also get an account to Situ that your teacher will control. So you being the teacher, you have the full control. And Situ being the 3D world that you work in or? Yeah, so Situ is a online server-based editing software. Um, I don't know if it's software, Joe, would it? That wouldn't be the right definition, hmm. but it's an online-based server. Uh, and within that, you can upload your footage and then you can edit your footage within Situ from there. And then Situ does all the hard work for you so you don't have to embed. You can just send people links and it's all hosted within Situ. 
This is so exciting. So students can go and create their own virtual 360 degree experiences of their local spaces, just like you did at the museum. And that's exactly what we want them to do, Joe. So we've done a little, another little project with the museum called Student Filmmaker. And so what we're trying to do is really trying to promote the kids to get out there and review their museums and review other issues of kind of like cultural significance and community around them and use these amazing new technologies to express a story in a new, exciting way to hopefully hook the kids in. Oh, how exciting. Amazing opportunities. And we'll put all the links to those in the show notes. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks for having me, guys. So, Linda and Yvette, are you inspired to be a modern-day Indiana Jones? Uh, I don't know if I am, Joe, but I did find it inspiring to have someone like Matt uh, be in a position to talk to students and teachers about what his career looks like, what what pathway has he gone down? And I, I do think that's something that we need to capture much more of. So, you know, I often say you can't be what you can't see and knowing that that's an option for kids is fantastic. So really exciting, but probably not inspired for me to take <laughs> on such a role. I think it was great that Matt explained to us some of the skills, as you said, behind um, what he does and bringing it to life. So even that data analysis, whether it's understanding, you know, where he's digging in to the ground and what he's pulling out. I think it's um, really brought it home to me because I think lots of kids think about that kind of career path, but actually understanding that skill set that you do need and obviously the imagination is just one part of it because you got to get your trowel you got to get your little trug and and get out there in the field so I think actually just talking to him was fascinating. Mm. So Joe are you inspired to be um, a modern day Indiana Jones? Oh look I tell you what I'm 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 really inspired in this amazing technological world where we focus so much on the future to, to, to be glad that people are still looking back at the past to find out what happened and why it happened and digital technologies is only empowering that process further. So I'm totally walking away inspired. I don't think I've got the patience to be a paleontologist, <laughs> um, but I can't wait to read more of what Matt's up to. I was imagining him pulling out a virtual drawer of virtual objects. Was anyone else thinking I got a little that? bit nervous when he said he look, he goes and looks after the fossils and there are there is 165,000. Mm. I just had... Again, that cabinet. Yes. Where do you start looking after them? Yeah. How exciting though. Hmm. I think we might have just stumbled upon the next innovation for the technology for learning team. What do you think? The virtual museum in a box? (laughs) (laughs) Now it's time to explore. Yes, you will all have to check out the show notes and start to engage with the museum's great 3D experience, Toot Suite. Uh, What about other virtual experiences out there? Where else can we visit? What else can we learn from our classroom? And is there a way students could be producers and put their local museum or space on the virtual map? Linda, what have you found? Well, I stumbled across a great incursion for students from the Natural History Museum in the USA, and they have great webinars, uh, Fossil Friday with different paleontologists. So all different sorts of topics that you could zoom into. Hopefully they'll have a recording because of the time difference, which I didn't look into, but we can put it in the notes maybe. But um, a great opportunity for learning. I'm sure there's recordings available too, Linda, that's for sure. Yeah, how about you, Yvette? Um, I've been really interested in some of the collections at the McLean Museum, which was at Sydney University and now it's now the Chow Chak Wing Museum. And they have a really great podcast called Object Matters and they look at a particular object, just as Matt was talking about, and they actually explore it, uh, its whole story through time. So that's a lovely one that I love. Um, and then I would also recommend what J- Jacob was touching on a bit earlier, uh, some of our in-house resources available for teachers, whether it's a STEM kit that you 
you've got or whether you're checking out um, the new Student Filmmaker resources which are all available on the TFL website. And Joe. You know, I just, you made me think a bit when you were talking about um, that just then, Yvette, when you were saying, number one, you're going exploring, but then students could be creators because they're kind of creating artifacts. The artifacts of the future will be digital, won't they? Maybe think of it like that. Mm. But nevertheless, where I'd be jumping is to the Louvre. So we all want to be traveling at the moment, but we can't. And I was excited to learn that the, the Louvre's ex- exhibits have all been put online. The collections, oh you can gosh. search the entire thing. Have you ever so, tried to see the Mona Lisa at the Louvre? You cannot see it because there's so many people in the room. Is this the way people are actually going to see her? Oh, my gosh, absolutely. Mm. There we go. Take and peek and, and inspire your students. Show them these amazing primary sources of information. Ah, oh, too exciting. So whilst our avid listeners will know, we love to give you a voice. And so to close us out, there is a little gem of techno wizardry wisdom. And we are lucky enough to have our very own Jacob Druce, videographer, podcast producer, video producer, and graphic designer, sharing a top tip of techno wizardry wisdom to get you and your students creating. Hello there, and welcome to my top tech tip for today's episode. And today we're going to be working through some basic microphone techniques to get that audio of yours sounding clean, crisp, and ready for your next project. So the first thing we're going to touch on is positioning. Now, not every microphone's the same, but you know, a general rule that we can use to help us figure this out is to use a shucker. Now, you're not quite sure what a shucker is? Well, I need you to make a fist, pop out a thumb, pop out a pinky, pop that thumb to your lips, and you see where that pinky's sitting? That's where we want our microphone. Now, you might need to tinker with this just a little bit depending on your microphone, but generally, that's a pretty good place to start. So now we've got that sorted. The second thing we want to talk about is consistency. Now, we really want to work on being consistent. And that's consistency between how far away we are from the microphone and also our voice levels. You know, if we start talking too far away from the microphone or we start talking a little bit too close, you can start to hear the difference, can't you? And if we start speaking really loudly and then we're speaking really softly and then, you know, we're not quite sure or things aren't just sounding as good, are they? So we want to work on our consistency, work on our distance from the microphone and consistency with our voice levels. So the last thing I want to touch on is about taking your time, about having fun, and about trying to keep it conversational. You don't want to be walking too fast. Don't try to work through everything too quickly. And, you know, you're just kind of figuring out what you're trying to say and and you're just rushing. No, we don't want to do that. We just want to take our time. We want to take it easy. We want to, we want to have a conversation when we're on the microphone. It makes us sound more natural. It gives us better quality. And then all in all, it gives us a better product. So I hope a couple of those tips help you guys out there in podcast land. And don't forget, jump onto the Student Podcaster for all of this and more tips that you can find to help your students make an amazing podcast. So Yvette and Linda, I never thought museums and tech would be such supreme partners. This podcast has been produced by the masterful Jacob Druce with the assistance and supreme coordination of all the awesome members of the Technology for Learning team. Just a little note, please be aware that all views expressed by the podcast presenters, that's us, are our personal opinions and not representative of the New South Wales Department of Education. Discussions aren't endorsements of third-party products, services or events. And please note that as much as we sound like it, we are not experts in legalese, tech speak or anything in between. We're just passionate people 
keen to boost technology for learning in the classroom and to help build the school skills in your students and for you to solve the problems of tomorrow. Do your due diligence, read further and if we've got something wrong, let us know. We too are always learning and always improving. Before we go, please make sure you send us through your comments, your word of techno-wizardry wisdom and your thoughts for new guests and segments. And if you like the podcast, give us a rating so more and more educators find us and be inspired to get a little techie in the classroom. Stay compassionate, stay curious, don't stop thinking outside the box, everyone. Thanks for joining us.